Welcome to Beyond the Small Talk, podcast for leaders and educators, hosted by me, Andrew Howie, and you, Alice Beveridge. On our show, we delve deeper than the surface level small talk and explore the important topics of well-being and self-care in the education sector. We understand the challenges and demands that come with being a leader or educator, and our goal is to provide you with some practical tips, strategies and resources to help you prioritise your own well-being while still excelling in your role. So join us as we discuss a variety of topics related to self-care, mental health and work-life balance with experts and educators who have first-hand experience navigating these issues. Let's take a step beyond the small talk and prioritise our own well-being so that we can be the best version of ourselves for our students and our colleagues. Welcome, Alice. How are you this week? I am good, thank you. How are you? I'm fantastic. I am having a good a good uh, week so far. I was at my pub quiz. I've not been for a few weeks. We went last night, listened to what happened. There's a wheel that you can spin during the quiz and we got it in one round. So we managed to spin the wheel and it told us we moved up five places, which was amazing because we were quite close to the top of the leaderboard. But then another team got it. They got swapped with the team in second place, which turned out we had moved up to second place they swapped with us and we ended up 17th. Oh my so, goodness. Well, you know what that teaches you? I, I, I don't know what it teaches me. Don't get your hopes up. There's no shortcuts to glory, Andrew. Yeah. No shortcuts. So we just sat for the next, like the, the last round of the quiz. We were a bit dejected. Like we still had fun because it's about meeting up with people. And, and actually, uh, I'll tell you a wee bit. It's about the meeting up with people, but... We were a wee bit gutted that we didn't win the quiz. My quiz team started about a year or so ago. Um, just a group of us were wanting to meet and, and keep in contact with each other. But recently what's happened is we've been through difficult, different moments. And the support of that quiz team that we started up just on a wee Thursday night quiz has been so valuable. So it shows you that um, that idea of, of relationships that we talk about with the Seligman, Martin Seligman's idea of, of PERMA and finding happiness. That's my happy, my little quiz team. So we had a joyful, joyful night. How about you though, Alice? What have you been up to? Yeah, well, it's just been a bank holiday weekend and I'm not going to lie, I was parent taxi for most of that weekend, which meant lots of running and back, backwards and forwards to gymnastics, trying to squeeze stuff in while kids are in a class. Parties, all the, the chaos, but um, I have to say I really enjoyed my bank holiday Monday because even though the kids were off, they were quite chilled and it gave me just a wee bit of time to stop and reflect because it's been hectic recently. Um, and I think I really appreciated just that little extra bit of time to sort of stop and go, right, where am I at? What's going on? What does the week ahead look like? Because it's another busy week here for me. Um, I'm away down to Manchester for three days and then we're into another bank holiday weekend. But I just really appreciated the time to stop for a little while. And are you quite good at stopping and having a pause for a moment? Because I know sometimes, sometimes I'm better than others. Yeah, do you know, I think I've gotten better at it. And I think particularly when I think about myself in a work context I used to get myself wound up about stuff and then be like oh right I need to do this or oh I always need to be busy if I'm not doing something I'm not productive whereas I think I've spent so much time over the last few years with other businesses with other leaders in schools talking all day every day about the importance of pausing and reflecting and being strategic in what our next steps are that it started to wear off a little bit so I'm getting much much better at it. That's brilliant. I I love when you can just find those moments to pause and reflect. And we went out um, 
to Clane Castle yesterday. So that like being in nature and just getting away from stuff and having that time for your you just your thoughts to wander and and, and connect. So did you come up with any great thoughts, any any moments, any reflections during that time? Well, do you know, me and my daughter went to visit her pony um, and took her out for a little while. And one of the things that my daughter said while she was riding, it's like one of the things that we do together um, was, oh, we used to come up here all the time during lockdown. We used to walk up here every day. We used to cycle up here every day. And I just heard myself saying out loud, which at the time was not something I thought I'd ever say. It's like, oh, there's elements of that that I really miss, like just stopping and pausing and reflecting because the world was in chaos but it did give lots of us time to stop not everybody I know that I was probably in a much more fortunate position than others um I mean we had our moments here at Tree of Knowledge I'm not going to lie there were nights right at the beginning where I was in tears on a Skype call to my mum and dad and my brother going I just don't know what we're going to do I don't know what the future looks like this could it could all just go like we just had basically just all of our events cancelling before there was furlough and before there was all of that. But once we got ourselves into, uh, right, this is what the next few weeks look like, because of course we were the, the next three weeks and then it was the next three weeks and the next three weeks and before you know it, three years have passed. Um, but there were definitely moments during that where as a business and as individuals within our business, we got to stop and say, right, what are we doing well? What are we not doing well? How do we survive this? You know, how do we just get through it? And then once we've gotten through it, what does recovery look like? How do we keep moving forward and beyond? But I know for you, you were still in school, weren't you? I was. It's quite interesting hearing you talk about the tree of knowledge experience at that point, because I was principal teacher at the primary school at that point. So a very different experience, I think, to begin with, but also uh, over the course of lockdown, because obviously we had home learning and, and different aspects to to think about and, and things were very much continuing in a different manner so uh, yeah very different experience and that's what we're going to have a look at today isn't it Alice we're going to have a think about the 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 leadership through or into and out of Covid and, and crisis mode leadership and think about where where we are now and how we move ahead. Yeah absolutely that's definitely today's focus and I think it's really important that like we kind of just hit the three-year anniversary it's been a full-on three years, particularly in education. You know, there's not been that breathing space. There's not been sort of an easy way through this. And that's now having longer-term ramifications. You know, you see that in pupil attitudes and mindset and attendance. You see it in just how people feel about the profession. Add on top of that the strikes that we've been um, working through the last little while. But it's been a turbulent few years. And it's really, it would be really easy for us today to jump straight into, well, what strategic leadership, but actually I think it's really important that we stop and reflect first and actually think, well, what was the leadership that was required at the beginning and the duration of the, the height of the pandemic? And then I think it's worth looking at, right, which bits of that do we want to hold on to in our day-to-day -day leadership and what transitions do we need to make into being a bit more forward thinking and less reactive now that hopefully, see if see if we set off another global pandemic off the back of this podcast today, I'm blaming you Andrew, <laughs> but hopefully now that things are settling down, what it looks like moving forward and actually the, the thought for this came from coaching sessions that I've been running the last few weeks and I know that it's different in primary schools but in secondary schools 
every teacher that I was talking to last week was like, all oh, right, the seniors are off on study leave. I've got a bit of breathing space. So I thought, let's use that breathing space that they've got productively now and really dig into some of this stuff today. So where should we start, Alice? Should we talk about that beginning of COVID times? What that, that looked like at that point in terms of the leadership that we had to demonstrate within the school? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what happened? What happened in your school? What was that experience like? It was it was a strange one. Now, I, I'll do a wee apology. My children, it's an in-service day, so if you hear any yelling in the background, that will be my son trying to trying to get on Mario Kart or something like that. So I'll, I'll put that apology out just now. Um, it's a reminder of what home learning was like. Uh, so it was. We obviously were aware COVID was on the news. It was. It was the school started to to become a sort of very strange place because we were serving the school lunches wearing gloves we weren't touching hands we were doing things which I just thought in a primary school were very unusual and it's, it's hard to explain the difference between a lunch service when we're helping to serve the food and the kids come up and help themselves to suddenly don't get out your chair and we'll serve you like these things difficult for young pupils to understand so we had a sense that there was there was this thing going on obviously and in education in the schools we don't know what's happening until it's announced on the news like until Nicola Sturgeon stood up and announced it we didn't know what was going to happen but within our school we got the sense of we were asked or we were very aware of like make sure all the children have their passwords for home learning make sure all these things are in place and although nothing was announced and we just started to sense right we need to get ourselves ready in case something is so we spent a week or so getting all the laptops, getting all the Chromebooks, working out who needed them, working out who needed passwords, printing stuff off. So I would say in that sort of moment of going into that that type of leadership, we were very much prepared as we could be in case something happened. We were also really fortunate. Now, you heard my former head teacher, Jared Curley, speak in the last episode of the podcast, but we were almost going day to day at that point. We used time which was in the the working time agreement and we sat down probably for 15 20 minutes at the end of each school day and I think that must have been for the period of about a week or so even two weeks before anything was announced where at the end of the day we all went down to a classroom and all the teachers for 10-15 minutes we sat and we just got an update of where we are what's happening this is what we know and there wasn't much to share at that point but I think Speaking to the staff and, and my sort of recollections of that, it was just a, a bit of us being together that we really needed. So we couldn't wait to the next staff meeting in, in two or three weeks time. We needed that 15 minute check in each day. Uh, and it was it was so priceless and invaluable that we, we felt we were involved in the planning. We felt that we were uh, able to make decisions together. We had staff at that point who started to drift away because of different illnesses and pregnancies and, and people who couldn't come back in. So the, the, there was a real shifting sand of what was happening. I think the communication was so key at that point. Everyone could see that things were starting to move. We were preparing things just in case, but the communication across the staff team, I think worked really well. And then obviously, we all sat, or, or I think the leadership team were in a in a classroom watching the, we had like a crisis center of one of the old classrooms. Uh, and then the school announced the closures or Nicola Sturgeon announced the closures and it was like, go. And we had things in place. We we got the laptops out. We 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 got the passwords. We we sort of were ready for action at that point. Um, so it was, it was as prepared as we could be, I think, but it was a real struggle, especially I think after we thought, right, 
there was the relief almost at that point. I remember a relief that the school was closing because of the emotions that were surrounding it. I still feel emotional speaking about it now, like the fear. Um, my daughter has asthma and I remember being scared of her being in school. So you have those those moments of like, at least now we can go home and we can be safe. Uh, so yeah, that, that was the sort of introduction to it. We then had a lot of up and downs. We do the change carving work, don't we? Uh, we very quickly were closed and then suddenly we were all come back to school the following Monday to, to work out what was happening with the hub schools. And from being one school, suddenly there was going to be more of us in the building. And I was like, this can't happen. Uh, so that was our introduction. That was a, a, an overview of what it looked like to begin with for us in school. And it was quite interesting because although we look at that COVID period as very sudden crisis, we did have that warning that it was mm -hmm. coming. So it's like it's almost unusual in terms of when we talk about crisis mode leadership, you know, that's like reactionary. Whereas we did have this little grace period beforehand. Like I remember I'm heading off to Manchester tomorrow for the next few days where I've, I used to spend, well, probably down in Manchester every week pre-COVID and these days just because of the changes, down much less often. But every time I go, I have this lasting memory of sitting in my hotel room writing our COVID policy of this is what we're going to do before all of this kicked off. So we did have this little grace period, but then it kind of kicked off and when, like, as you say, like once we were sent home and once what the next bit looks like, I think that's where real crisis leadership kicked in for people. And to give you a real definition of like, what is crisis mode leadership? It's really the leadership that refers to the way that we respond to a situation where there is extreme pressure, extreme uncertainty and extreme urgency. And I think we felt all of that as we moved into that COVID period. It's really very much characterised by this need for a sort of a focus on short term solutions and really quick decision making. And we have to be so reactive. So though we had that little grace period of right, what does this look like? I don't think any of us thought as we closed the doors on whatever day it was that lockdown began and we're like, right, for the next three weeks we do this. I don't think any of us thought we'd still be there come the summer holiday. You know, so although we had that little bit of preparation quickly, it's like we needed more, you know, and there was more time that was required for this. So one of the things that we really look at in crisis mode is that leaders have to really prioritise addressing the immediate needs and challenges of the situation over the long term planning or strategic thinking. Like if you think about all the school improvement plans or department improvement plans that just went out the window, you know, think about this in secondary school. So like, yeah, guys, you're all getting ready for your exams. Oh, there are no exams anymore. Ah, how do we do this? You know, there was just like that panic response of it didn't matter. You know, it didn't matter what the plan had been before. It had to change. It had to be different. It had to deal with the situation that was in hand because there was just so much other fear, like so much more fear just built into it than there would be in our normal day to day thinking. Now, obviously, we can use COVID as an example of this. But lots of things can push us into crisis mode leadership. It's often, well, it's almost always in response to something that's unexpected and something that's disruptive. So that could be anything from a natural disaster to an accident to a sudden change in circumstances. And can it's really that we need to prioritise that short term stability and safety for whoever it is that we're working with. However, what's important is once we've gone through that, and I would love to say that there's not going to be crises that occur after this. Of course there are. There's a crisis every day in some sort of form. But when we transition out of something like the big crisis mode that has been COVID, 
it can actually be a little bit scary because we have to step back into, well, how do we get back to strategic planning when we've been so reactive for so long? Particularly when we look at the longer lasting impact of that, you know, we've got higher levels of resilience fatigue and burnout than probably ever before. People have reassessed what life looks like and want different things. So as a result, the plans that we had before it, it's not like we just slip back into those plans. We really need to think like, what, what does the next year, the next two years, the next three years look like off the back of such a big crisis? The change back was dr dramatic, like trying to think of how do we move back to our school improvement plan that for the last year or so we've just put to one side and we had the recovery plan, which was a sort of in between. But the year didn't get any better the year after. We had the COVID year and then we all came back and, and it was such a difficult year in school as well. Uh, we had the closures at Christmas time again. Um, and, and I don't think even the year after that, that's the year that I then had started the job, but in October left the Joint Tree of Knowledge. That year was also still um, crisis management because, and, and it might be very similar to, to the, the situation in schools at the moment, but we sort of came back after the summer and then we had people who had to isolate and the rules were really difficult about isolation. And we thought we were in through the recovery and now into sort of more strategic and we just weren't ready for it. We we suddenly were up against it. And I think that's from speaking to to, to many teachers and being in and out of schools and working with, with people in, in different programs. That's the, the difficult bit at the moment as well as with the strikes and with all the things and shortage of staff that, when are you ready for the strategic part to come back in? Because you can't put it off for too long because someone's going to come and check that you're doing it. And um, that's that's the bit where I think the leadership plays a key role. And that's the bit where I, I really admired Gerard's leadership at that point with a sort of protective element to the staff around them. Yeah, I was going to say, I think what we need to be really aware of is why we fall into this mode. Like, can you imagine something like this comes along and you go, no, we'll just keep going as it is. You know, like we have to fall into it out of necessity. Um, and the thing is, when we fall into crisis modes, it's in times of uncertainty and stress. And it's because our brain's natural response to those perceived threat is to just activate, activate, I can't speak today, Andrew, <laughs> activate the fight or flight response. So in a crisis, our brain is perceiving the situation as a threat to our safety or our well-being, which of course it was during COVID. This triggers a surge of stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol. And then this response can be really helpful in the short term. But if we stay there for too long, like the negative consequences are huge. You know, it's burnout, it's exhaustion. It's things like diminished decision-making capacity. One of the conversations I've had with leaders over and over again in the last little while is that they're just exhausted. And it's like their memories don't feel like they're as sharp or they don't feel like they're making as good decisions. And that's why we really need to make that con conscious shift from, right, okay, this is what we've needed to get us to this point but what does the next stage look like? And it's a bit of bravery, especially when you're knackered, you know, especially when you're already like, oh, it's like, yes, we can go, COVID was that year. No, it wasn't. It has had a long lasting impact. But if we think about the, I'm going to use the good very carefully here because there was so much bad that came out of COVID, but it did give us a chance to change things up a little bit. And I guess there's a risk that now things have normalized a little bit, or do we just slide back into all the old habits that we had before? Or do we need a strategic plan that lets us 
keep the best bits you know what was the stuff that worked those crisis meetings that you were having every day you maybe don't need in times of calm or relative calm but maybe there's space for more communication than we have like or had before COVID and that's where the strategic element really comes in. Absolutely. There's, there's great bits in terms of, I think, our visibility as leadership teams and with staff. And, and there was certainly elements of that. But it's then, right, if we're keeping these really good bits, what's the, what's the rubbish bits that we're also letting go of? Um, I was on a, a, a vibe when I was doing the middle leadership training with, with yourself, Alice, and we were having a, a group discussion. And we were talking about since COVID, the wee extra bits of the job that had fed, or like good bits that had sort of made its way in and, and bits that we enjoyed. But there was maybe lots of extra playground supervision and lunch hall supervision and being at the gates and all those things that we would do in school. And I remember asking, but what are you not doing now? And they were like, oh no, we're still doing the, we're still doing everything else. So I think in terms of the strategic leadership and thinking ahead, it's like, right, that's brilliant, but what do we take out as well? There must be elements of that in it as well when we're planning, Alice, I, I would hope. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the strategic bit comes in. You know, if we're asking people to do something different, we shouldn't be asking them to do more because people have a certain level of capacity yet time and time again it's like recognition of doing a job well or having done something well so oh, well that becomes your job too now and over time if we just keep on adding and adding and adding those people become burnt out so when we look at strategic leadership it really refers to the ability of a leader to anticipate and envision and guide their their team, their organisation, their school towards achieving whatever its long term goals and objectives are. So if we put that into the world of education, how do we make sure that education is fit for purpose in whatever year we're living in, you know, for 2023, by the time our kids leave school, how do we make sure that what they have experienced at school is providing them for the world that they're going to be living in, not the world that they're living in now? So strategic leaders have to be forward thinking and proactive and we have to focus on the big picture. There needs to be this really strong understanding of what the organisation's vision and values and purpose are. And the more we have that understanding, the easier it becomes to prioritise things like longer term planning and collaboration and continuous improvement over those short term sort of fixes or reactive responses that have had to play such a big part of the last few years. And we very much think of uh, the Simon Sinek start with why. See, when we're going into meetings or, or staff meetings and you're thinking about all these things in the agenda, why? And it was really our vision, like everything that we're doing sort of drives you towards that school vision and your values and your aims or, or purpose. Like it's really important to keep that in mind and, and how everything you're doing is helping towards that. Uh, so sometimes or often we try and start with a staff meeting with why why are we here and it's the vision sometimes it'd be like because it's on the working time agreement <laughs> like we're here because we, we have to be but also it's a question we ask teachers a lot during staff meetings and, and, and in set days and things like that and we all have that drive as, as working in education as teachers as members of staff within a school so yeah what's the big vision what's the big thing and and, and then when we know that when we've got that sorted We've got our why, we've got the meaning, we've got the purpose, we can drive forward with the, the strategy. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a real reflective process that we have to go through. It's easy to dive straight into the strategy bit, but actually stopping and saying, right, what did we do well? What were we good at? What were we great at? What didn't work? What was a disaster? What would we never do again? And what were the lessons that we learned as a result of that? 
that then starts to give us a much stronger base to build on. And the questions that we always ask start, like when we do go through this period of sort of strategic planning, which we do fairly regularly at Tree of Knowledge, the question that we always start with is what went well? You know, what did we do well? What was good? What are we happy about? Where are we smashing it out of the park? And it's because it just feeds a much more positive strategy session. It's really easy to write a reactive strategy based off of what's going wrong. You know, like sort of going, well, I don't know, maybe we've had inspectors in or there's been a bit of feedback or we want to change something. So, well, if that thing's wrong, what does the strategy look like to fix it? It's a really easy mindset to fall into, but a much more helpful mindset to fall into is, what is it that we're trying to create? What's the dream? What does that look like? And if we can start to identify what good looks like, what great looks like, what excellent looks like, then we're able to say, right, if this is what's going well, and that's where we want to get to, what are the stages in between? How do we actually design what we need to put in place to be able to achieve that dream? And this is where we start to really shift forward into forward planning mode and the more positive a base we're doing that from the easier it is to make sure that the the strategy that we end up with at the other end of this is actually much more useful and practical and purposeful i'm thinking in terms i jotted down a few notes and questions i wanted to ask you from your experience or, or working with middle leaders and leaders within schools at that point when you're starting to come up with the plan and thinking about it, who would you involve in that stage? Would that be a, a close-knit, your leadership team? Or would you be taking that, that more widely? And so I think there needs to be a bit of both here. When it comes to actually devising the strategy, you want your big players in there. You know, you want your big hitters, your big influencers. Um, often that will be your direct leadership team, you know, like your SLT, but there's always an argument to be going out slightly wider than that. Like extended leadership teams can be a really good source of real insight into what's happening rather than what you think is happening. But this is where I would say the pre-work comes in, you know, like from a business perspective, there's a few things that we, we look at here. Um, the first thing we have to do is determine your position. So before you get anywhere near actually building a strategy, you're working out that baseline of where are we right now? Now, and this is, yes, we want to know all the things that we're doing well and we want to be building that dream, but it's also important to ask the big questions like, do we have any strategic issues? You know, like, are there any problems or challenges that are just being brushed under the carpet? Are there national priorities that are shifting? You know, what are we seeing from, like, data? You know, like, in, in business, we use industry and market data, whereas in education, where are you getting your insights? How do you know how you're comparing? You know, it might be comparing yourself against your virtual school. It might be using um, things like HMIE inspections. It might be QIO feedback. There's lots of different ways that we can start to get a good idea of what our position is. Then from a business perspective, we'd be saying, right, where are our customer insights coming from? Now, schools have customers, they just don't pay the same way that business customers do. You know, who are your customers in a school? It's your pupils, it's your staff, it's your parents, it's your community, and it's those wider stakeholders. So we need to be going out and gaining those customer insights before we even get started in terms of developing a strategy. And this is where actually 
going out and asking the questions and running surveys about the things that you think are likely to be important gathering that data helps us to just make better decisions and obviously within that we have our employee input as well now yes our staff are our customers but they're also employees in a school setting because they're the ones that do the majority of the delivery of teaching so we want to go to our employees our staff and that can be teaching staff, that can be support staff, and really dig into what our what they think our strengths are and what they think the, the weaknesses are. Then we take all of that information that's helping us to really determine the position. And it's only then that you actually move on to strategy development. So although there might only be a few key players in the strategy development part, people feel consulted and they feel involved in that process and if you get that right they're more likely to buy into your strategy in the first place. That's really interesting and I think that's that high level of communication that we spoke about or I spoke was so effective um, pre-COVID and um, those moments of everyone's involved, everyone's opinions heard, everyone's concerns dealt with and everyone feels part of the discussion and part of the team um, was really key. Uh, the time frame for that, that's a, a, a long process so that's a good time of year, perhaps, with school improvement plans, forward plans, standards and quality reports all being very, um, will be in the minds of, of leaders across Scotland at the moment. They'll be things that they'll be coming up with. Um, I think it's, it's maybe a, a, so there's a sense of realism in this as well as what can we achieve? What, what do we need to take out there? What's the things that we really want to focus on? Yeah, I think there's probably a couple of things that I want to pick up on there like you said this is a time-consuming process think of it as a presidential election right we've just had presidential candidates including president biden to sort of announce their candidacy i can't say that word either for the upcoming uh, election which is in another year now that's a four-year process right but we're only two and a little bit of the years into that and they're already forward planning really good strategic leaders are able to lift their heads up and out of the day job and the challenges that are happening today, the operational stuff that's happening today and saying, cool, if this is what I'm seeing now, say it's a change in behaviours or attitudes, what does that look like in three years? Now, if you get a new group of first years or second years coming through the door and they're just different, you know, because of whatever it is that's going on in their lives, whatever is going on in society, we need to be looking at that and it's not saying, well, how do we make them fit the mould? It's what are they going to need in a few years and how do we need to change and adapt in order to provide that? And this is really where we have to get grounded in vision, mission, values, all of that big stuff Like you just need to dip into the work of Simon Sinek to get like the best flavour of that. But a strong mission strong vision, a strong set of values, and really importantly, an associated set of behaviours that go along with that. So what does a particular value that you've selected as being really key and fundamental to the development of your organisation look like for staff? What does that look like for pupils? What does that look like for senior leadership? Because if we want things to be tangible and we want people to be able to say, I know what that means, then we re really need to describe, well, what do we expect? So it's really about setting your behavioural expectations that are linked to something bigger and more purposeful that form the basis of that strategy. Then it's from there that we can start to do a bit more of the actual strategy planning itself. So this is where you want to work out, like, what is your competitive advantage? That's the language that we would use in business. What is it that makes your school what it is? 
Not every school exists in a different context. We're all trying to do the same thing. But what we do in a school that has, I don't know, higher level of SIMD threes and fours or fours and fives, and that compared to this maybe like in a, an area of mass deprivation, our starting point is different. So these are not direct comparators. So we need to look at, right, what is it that makes our school special? What is it that makes our school this thing? Um, my own children's primary school have just been doing a curriculum rationale assessment. And one of the questions, I think I mentioned this last week was, what does it mean to be part of this community? And once we start to tap into what it means to be part of your learning community, then we can work out, well, what's important in this community? What, what does the future look like for people growing up in this community? Are they all going to go off to university? Are they all going to go into um, jobs in the local area? What's the social mobility like in this situation? Because then we can start to say, well, what are the long-term objectives? And that's like we're looking into the future here, you know, like over the next two to three years, what do we want for these children and young people? And that's about us being able to say, if this is the goal, how do we get them there? And we can be aspirational here. You know, it doesn't like, if you're in a challenging area with really um, high levels of unemployment and very little social mobility, if you just sit there going, well, we're in a level of high unemployment with very low social mobility, if you, we don't raise aspirations, none of that's ever gonna change. So you can be really aspirational in this process. And once we get through that, it's actually about building the plan, you know, and that's yeah. where it gets, that's a bit more nitty gritty, get your spreadsheets out time, you know. It's really interesting because I think you're saying we, we can, it's, it's almost like you, you you should be aspirational at those points, shouldn't you? That's that's the job, isn't it? Yeah. The, to improve their life chances and life choices of the children. So really, um, that that's really key within your plan, but basing it within your knowledge and your research and your your vision that you're picking up from stakeholders I think when you were mentioning all the different things you take in there it just made me reflect on the importance of that research as well of where are we as a country at the moment what's what's effective what's working in different schools and that engagement with research and, and practice and policy that's so important for leaders and um, to, to keep their heads above uh, the water looking out and looking around um, very much at the heart of, of the, the the Scottish education policy, isn't it? Look inwards, look outwards and look forwards and, and very much see what's out there and what can we pick up on to help our, our school and our children. Yeah, absolutely. And that inwards, outwards and forwards, I think that's something that comes through every time we run Vibe of, especially when we do one of the online versions rather than an in-house version, is that ability to look outwards and see what other people are doing is so valuable. But we often don't have enough time to do it. You know, like time's always a pressure. There's always two pressures, right? There's time and there's money. And if we had unlimited amounts of both of them, then that would be great. But we have to be realistic. You know, we're, we are functioning within an imperfect system. You know, there are restraints on this system that in an ideal world wouldn't exist but it is the experience of most children and young people in Scotland so if we're committed to the profession and we are and this, this is not about teachers going above and beyond and breaking themselves but if we are committed professionals it's about looking at the environment that we're in and being as aspirational as we can but we need measurement tools in there you know there's no point in having a great lovely pretty strategy if we haven't worked out well what does that look like we've got this long-term goal and objective 
But what does that look like next week? What does that look like next term? What does that look like by Christmas, by Easter, by the next academic year? So we need those short to mid-term goals of what is it that we're trying to achieve in each little space of this? And then in, in the world of business, we would say, and what are the KPIs or similar? There's lots of different metrics that we can use, but KPIs, key performance indicators, how do we, it's basically our way of tracking and monitoring, you know, how do we know that we are doing what we said and we're doing it well? And once we've got those in place, it's about how do you cascade that out across the organisation? Schools can be massive organisations. Of course, we get lovely little small school communities. If we look at secondary schools, these are beasts. If we looked at them in business terms, they are big beasts you know they have lots of staff they have lots of stakeholders and that's where things get more difficult so this is where we really need to leverage like our middle leadership teams our extended leadership teams and be able to sell to them this is the mission the vision the vision the values this is what we're trying to achieve we've formed this from gathering your insights and our community's insights this is what it means for your department because what those goals mean at a, a sort of an umbrella level at a whole school level is different to what it means at a department level and that's different to what it means for every individual class teacher or member of staff across the school so we then need to get that cascade right how do we engage them what does that look like say over the next 12 months how does that then cascade into team member goals like individual staff goals how do we use things like PRDs to effectively put that in place? And of course, the other thing we always need to consider here is the budget. You know, so we do have to find very creative, I hate that, oh, we need to find creative solutions. But at the end of the day, the budget is often what the budget is. And I always look at this in terms of things we can control and things that we can't. And if we're in a situation that we can't control, something like a budget we have to work with it what does that look like how do we how do we make the best of that situation and this is sometimes where we need to compromise the aspiration for reality it's good to have that aspirational intention but we then need to fit it to the context that we're living in and that's not just the context within our school that's the socio-economic context of the country which we know right now is not in the best of health so I was just reflecting back on the discussion so far, starting from my recollections of, of COVID and that crisis mode, that very short term sit down, here's the plan almost day to day, um, where we need to get to, how we support each other, how we look after each other through those those crisis points of crisis and um, into that like strategic leadership with getting your head up, having a look out, seeing what's working well, basing it more so on um, research and, and discussions and, and bringing people in uh, so th there's quite a shift there between what crisis mode is where we've been and certainly into the strategic leadership which if schools are are not in if they've been in that recovery phase I'm sure many of them the pressure is on to to sort of get there and, and keep moving forward strategically at the moment yeah it's, it's a difference between being operational and in the day-to-day and being strategic and being sitting slightly outside of that. COVID or crisis in general require all hands on deck. Where are we right now? What does today look like? Strategic is where are we today, but where are we going to be in three months, six months, five years, 15 years, 50 years? Now, if we think about 
think about it in a way, you know, this is a random example to use, but we worked with a, a, a distillery in Scotland, right? One of the oldest distilleries in Scotland, delivering a bit of um, sort of leadership and presentation training as they were going through a big rebrand. And there was something that the, the, the top dog there said to me was, I'm just a custodian of this brand. Okay, yes, I am the head honcho right now, but this brand has existed from 100 years before I was born. And if we do things right, it will exist for hundreds of years after I've gone. And it's the same for us in schools. We are custodians of the education system. It's our job to keep it relevant, to change with the times, to be brave, to work within the limitations that are set upon us at the point of history that we're existing in and to hope that we leave it in a better state than where we started. So when we look at strategic leadership, it is that shift from how do we get to the end of the day to how do we make sure that this thing hasn't burned to the ground in my own time? How do we make sure that it's still there for my grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren? Wow, that is some vision and and like that idea of, of, of maintaining it. So just to sort of pick up, because we could talk about this for, for days, but see you have that vision you've managed to get it and, and knowing what it's like at points in schools at the moment it's been a really tough time how do you maintain the energy and the enthusiasm of your staff if you've got that vision we we've had things that we've brought in and then suddenly you're you're something comes up and you lose that momentum and you lose that that focus so any top tips for trying to maintain that yeah, you know, it's the same way as you maintain anything. Like if we're looking at maintaining performance in whether it's physical health, right? And physical health is a really easy one to use as a comparator here because we know what the important factors of physical health are, right? It's food, it's sleep, it's exercise. In order to maintain good physical health, we need to pay attention to all of those things all of the time. We let one of them slip, it has a knock-on effect. We stop eating as well, it has an effect on our sleeping, it has an effect on our physical health. We stop sleeping as well, it affects our physical levels of energy and what we want to put into our body. So they're all connected. You put this into a, a sort of a strategic organisation context, it's really about how do we manage that performance? And whenever we hear the words manage and performance in the same sentence, people go, oh no, HR are on their way. But actually, positive performance management is the same as positive behaviour management. If we manage pupils' behaviours positively, we get more of the good stuff. If we go in expecting the best, if we go in setting high expectations, if we go in with firm boundaries and we have the difficult conversations quickly, it's much easier to correct the course if behaviour is going off track. It's the same when it comes to strategy. We need to manage those performance expectations, which means, first of all, we need to roll out that strategy effectively. We need good high level communication and we need good interdepartment conversations happening. With anything like this, we need to have a measurable timeline. So what does it actually look like this calendar year? What does it look like this term? What does it look like over the next three years? And then we need to look at how we how we adapt, right? Because we can write the most beautiful strategy today. But you see, if you'd written a strategy in 2019, you're like, this is what we're going to do. I'm willing to bet that in 2023, you look back at that strategy and go, well, that didn't happen. Um, or, oh, do you know what? The priorities aren't even the same anymore. 
So we need to be brave enough to adapt. You know, we need to be able to say quarterly um, or like every term or at the end of every year, what's going well, even better if, you know, it keeps coming back to those questions that we asked right at the beginning. We're continually trying to look back into determining that position so that we can make the changes. You don't write these things once and then it's done. You write it and you constantly adapt. And what you do in the next five years will look totally different from what you set out to do today, but it should. But that doesn't mean that the strategic planning that you're doing now is not worthwhile. It just means that you did it well. We have, uh, today's an in-service day where I stay, so I'm, I'm picturing all these teachers in school and I've been there. The day will be jam-packed. It will be a full day with different things, that, the things that have to be done and the things that, that are on strategic plans and looking ahead. Now, when we're at a tree of knowledge day, well, we have time. Like, I would say that that one of the, we had a, a day recently where we, we had a chance to reflect, we had a chance to connect as well, and we had time across the day where we could sit down and have all those discussions. They're almost so timetabled when you're in the school. Um, I would love, Alice, I, I, you, I thought this in a previous podcast, I would love you to write a, an in-service day agenda. So what you think it should look like in schools because the, the time is so structured and it needs to be because we're all trying to, to fit so many criteria and do the things and do the best and, and everything. But I wonder if that sometimes I, I loses the the strategic bit, the, the keeping people on board. So, um, yeah, it's it's everyone's working, using all their time, using it to the best of their ability. But sometimes that pause, that moment to take your your head above the water for the whole staff team, um, it would be nice to see if we can have more opportunities to make that happen. Yeah, and it's it's about being brave enough to have gaps in the agenda. Like we're obviously outcome driven for a reason. Like our stakeholders are without sounding super cheesy the future generations to come you know so we want that time to be used well but that means that often we over prioritize well what's the outcome of every single thing that we're doing when we have staff time or collegiate time together the best ideas the best conversations come from giving people a bit of autonomy with boundaries you know you're you're setting an agenda okay what is the vision what are the values what are this it's the big stuff but then it's giving them time to actually hone into, well, what does that mean for me as a class teacher in my third year of teaching? What does that mean for you as a deputy head teacher? What does that mean for somebody that's sort of getting ready to retire and move on? And it's being brave enough to create unregulated or completely unagendaed time for it. And I know that some of you that will be listening going, oh, the working time agreement. Like the working time agreement exists for a reason, but we need time and space to have those big conversations. We, uh, you make me think of two things there. One, football team coaches, right? Because there's players who are like, I'm thinking of players who are maybe 40 and they'll say like, I don't have to go to training. Like, because the, the, the coaches know, like in terms of training, their body can't cope with that. Also, they're so experienced, like you turn up for a, the team. So it's like, there's different regimes in terms of what we need physically for, for sports people. And maybe that's true of, of what we need within education as well with different teachers. You're talking about all these different stages in their career. Uh, and then using that working time agreement, we we stripped it so clear at the school I was at and we, we were handing all the time almost back to the teachers. It was a big discussion about, you know what we're aiming for, you know what we want. We were trying to like use that idea of Google and Microsoft of use your time to develop the stuff that you love. And we'd, we'd fought this, we pitched it, we'd got everyone on board and then COVID happened. And it was just, we, I think we were being quite aspirational, but also quite, uh, we were putting a lot of trust into each other 
Um, but but we never managed to go through that process and see what happened. Um, by well, by. I think, I think that word there, trust, is absolutely key. You know, we are a nation of highly trained professionals in education. Yes, there is continuous learning and professional development that we are working on. But if we have a strategy and we've sold it well, the biggest bit of making it happen is trusting the people to go and do what we've asked them to do. Trusting that we have sold that vision well enough that they want to do it, not that they're being made to or they feel that they have to or, oh, it's just another change. It's actually if we do this and we get it right, this looks better for the children and the young people that are coming through our systems. And it's how do we measure that? Because if you don't measure it, how can you, you need to, you're judged on what you can measure. And in the schools, quite often that's exam results. It's yeah. exam results. And, and for teachers, it's the exam results of the pupils. So if you've got this vision, it's maybe finding the way, how do we measure the vision, which isn't just the exam results? And in yeah, primary that's- school, that's really literacy and numeracy. We used the, the Tree of Knowledge sort of wellbeing survey at the school I was at, because we started to go, right, if we're not measuring wellbeing, how do we show that we value it? Because if we're not measuring it, how do we have the same... Uh, data and how do we how do we uh, drive things forward in that area but that's your staff as well that's stakeholders that's if your vision doesn't mention do well in literacy and numeracy then how are we measuring all the other stuff and if that's your strategic vision then um, maybe we also have to think about how do we measure the impact of that which is is not just a, a grading well I guess as a bit of a final thought for today's discussion one of the One of the things from our curriculum rationale planning that my daughter and son's primary school did um, last week was we wanted people to really reflect on what they want their kids to leave school with. And you know what? The words literacy and numeracy and exam results did not feature in what people were looking for. It all came down to friendships, relationships, well-being, ability to manage their own mental health with the tools to go and be successful in what they wanted to do. So there was like, it wasn't like we need to stop teaching subjects, but actually I think one thing that COVID has given us the opportunity to do is maybe just realign what's actually important in life. I would rather my kids left school confident in themselves knowing how to make decisions, knowing how to take risks without too much fear, knowing how to manage difficult conversations and have relationships then come out going, well, this is my path in life because we don't know what that path looks like. I'm sure listening to us today, there'll be teachers uh, who will be shouting an agreement or disagreement and and wanting to contribute and and thinking about their practice as we've spoken away. And we went, I think I've taken you off subject a couple of times and and asked some questions. But if anyone is listening and and shouting answers at the getting get in contact with us, because we'd love to hear your thoughts. We've had a couple of guests in recent weeks. and it would be nice to have others. So if there's anyone out there who wants to come in and share their thoughts and, and have a focus for a discussion, even around the idea of strategic leadership, we welcome the conversation. We would love to, uh, Alice and I see this as a learning opportunity for ourselves. So we welcome anyone who wants to get in contact, who wants to share thoughts, who wants to raise points or who wants to come on the podcast and be interviewed by us. Absolutely. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can get on uh, Twitter. You can get Andrew at at Andrew H underscore T-O-K. Or you can find me at Alice underscore Beverage. You can follow Tree of Knowledge at Tree underscore of. 
Um, and you can like and share the podcast if you're enjoying it, because that is the best way to, to help support these podcasts that you love. And Alice, our next episode, we have a very exciting guest coming to join us. I am genuinely looking forward to you trying to pronounce one of the words in the uh, in the title of that one. So you've got a week to get practicing, Andrew. I will. I've, I've struggled. I'm going to go away and practice it now. Brilliant. Well, thanks for joining us today. Hopefully this has given you all a little bit of food for thought and we hope you have a wonderful week ahead.